0: Amen. Good morning everyone. As, as Scotty said, if you don't know me, my name is Jack Kehoe and I'm super excited to be here and be sharing with you all today. So you may be wondering, what is this picture of a one-eyed hedgehog doing up on the screen? This is Winston, the one-eyed hedgehog. Winston was my dream pet when I was 10 years old. I came to my parents who are sitting right here Um, And I was like, mom and dad, I really want to get a hedgehog as a pet. Like this was my dream and my desire. And so being good parents, they were like, okay, how are you going to earn enough money to be able to get this hedgehog for yourself? So they were teaching me a lesson in the process. So I came up with this plan that I was going to go and mow the the neighbor's lawns in order to be able to raise, in, in order to be able to earn enough money to get my dream pet. So I went and was giving out flyers and uh, over the following weeks mowing neighbor's lawns so that I could earn enough to finally get my dream pet, Winston. And so the day finally came and we went to uh, a friend's home, my friend Claire, who was the owner of Winston and wanted to give him away to someone else. And I was able to buy Winston from her and bring my new beloved pet home. And it was love at first sight. I was like so stoked to have Winston. Every day, I would wake up a couple hours before school and just play with him. I'd put him in my sweatshirt pocket and just take him around everywhere with me. Um, and so he was like my favorite little guy. But as weeks passed and months passed, my love for Winston kind of started to wane, and I stopped spending as much time with him in the mornings. And His cage, which was right next to my bed, soon moved to the corner of the room. And if you don't know, hedgehogs are nocturnal, and they love to run on wheels. And so the running all through the night on the wheel really started to get to me as well. And uh, basically, just in time, I stopped spending as much time with Winston and caring for him until eventually my parents were like, Hey, you know, Jack, if you're not going to take care of this pet and spend time with him, You should probably give him away to someone else. And so this hedgehog that I once loved and was once my dream, pet, and desire uh, became something that was just pushed to the side and given away eventually. And I wonder what, what this Winston story might be for your life. It might have been something different, whether you loved a restaurant or had a certain hobby or a passion, loved hiking, or a certain band that you loved that over time... Uh, your passion and your love for that thing waned. Um, and on this spectrum of, of the Winston story, I wonder where you might be in your relationship with God. Are you chasing him passionately and excited about him, or is your love growing cold and weakening in your relationship with him? We've all had moments like I did with Winston in our relationships with God, where our hearts begin to grow colder. And so today I want to look at the life of someone in the Bible who seemed to be able to maintain a heart on fire and, and passionate about God throughout his life. So we're going to look at the life of King David. Acts 13, says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So let's pray. Um, God, we just thank you that you are a good, loving, and compassionate God. I thank you that you desire deep relationship, um, that you have deep love for each one in this room. And Father, today we open our hearts to you. We ask that you would speak to us from your word. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to convict, to show us uh, where maybe our our desires for you have decreased. And God, would you ignite fire and passion in our hearts again uh, to pursue you, to love you passionately, to devote ourselves to you. So God, would you speak, would you illuminate the word, and would you speak to each one today? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to hop into Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to join with me, but I'm going to read it as well, so you can just listen if you don't have one. This is chapter 6. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the Ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath against Uzzah and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the Ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to me, "Call." it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children till the day of her death. So this is amazing. The, the very first thing that David did when he was established as king over Israel was he went to seek the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant is what held the presence of God during these times and David used all of his resources. He brought 30,000 people together to go and get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it to Jerusalem, back to the center of Israel. There were many things he could have done when he was first established as king. He could have increased the military might of Israel. He could have increased trade with neighboring countries. He could have developed cities But David was a man who prioritized the presence of God, and he knew that he needed to bring God's presence back to the center of his kingdom. How many of us prioritize God's presence like this in our own lives? Part of the reason I felt led to share this message today was because in the last few months, I stopped prioritizing the presence of God in my own life. I am an achiever and a doer. I love to accomplish things. I run a real estate media company, and with some of the friends here, we run a ministry in our home, a gathering with 30 or 40 young adults every Monday. And so I fill my time with a lot of good things. Um, And in the last few months, I found myself just getting busy. I was still spending time with the Lord. I would wake up and read my Bible and pray with friends and do those kinds of activities but my heart was not like on fire for God it was not passionate about him and someone recommended to me to read this book called the ruthless elimination of hurry by john mark comer and as i started to read this book i experienced conviction like wow i haven't been prioritizing god's presence and just my first love being in relationship with him so i realized that i started to need to say no to some things See, it cost David something to bring the ark back to Israel. He had to bring the whole nation together and and carry this ark all the way back. And it was costly. And it costs us something if we're going to prioritize God's presence in, my li- in, in our lives. So I realized I needed to start saying no to some things in order to be able to spend more time with the Lord and to be able to rest and give him my full attention So these last few weeks since I've been doing that have been amazing. Honestly, I've been able to say no to more things and spend time prioritizing him in the morning and just enjoying him. I used to love to worship on the guitar, but I hadn't been doing that for a long time. And so in the last few weeks, I've just been starting my days getting to sing to him and just like letting my heart and my affections grow for Jesus. And so I wonder what this might be able to look like for you in your life to prioritize God's presence. Is it that when you wake up, maybe you go first thing to your phone instead of spending time with him? What might it look like to uh, plug in your phone away from your bed so that that's not the first thing you go to? Or would it be uh, you're at work and taking a minute or two minutes before you head to lunch to just read a psalm or allow your heart to be moved by God and talk with him. Or maybe, you know, maybe you're super busy and you are a parent and maybe on the way home from driving your kids to school, you can turn on worship music and allow your heart to be moved by God's presence. David was a man with, with many uh, responsibilities and many tasks at hand, but yet he was still able to prioritize God's presence in his life. And the second thing that allowed David to keep his love alive for God was that he worshipped him with all his might. So as we just read back in 2 Samuel 6, verse 14, it says, Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. So if you could imagine, like, our president being on TV Dancing and worshiping before the Lord. And, and David's wife was embarrassed. She was like, This is not how a king should be acting in front of the nation. And I think that's understandable. It would be weird if our president was doing that. But let's look at again how David responded to her um, in verse 21. He says to me, Call, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I'll become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Worship can be embarrassing sometimes. We can be thinking, oh, what are other people going to think if I respond this way, if I'm passionate about Jesus? But the reality is that this God that we're worshiping is the God of the universe. He's the one who made each one of you. He knows the number of hairs on you. He's the one who created you in your mother's womb. And he's worthy to be worshiped. He's worthy of our praise. Have you ever been in a worship time, even here on a Sunday where you desired to respond to God? You felt him doing something in your heart and you were like, man, I want to just respond. I want to like lift my hands or even get down on my knees or sing loudly. But then you, your mind went to what other people in the room might think and you allowed yourself to be held back from responding to the Lord. I want to say to you, like he's so worthy to be praised. He's so worthy to of our worship, and even I feel that, like I feel that here sometimes, I'm expressive in worship, but it can be hard, and and I get that thought, that double take in my mind, like man, I just love you, and I want to respond to you, but people are going to think this is weird if I respond in this way, And, and my encouragement is to just respond like David did, even in front of the whole nation, he was willing to worship God, and to give him his all. David kept his love alive by God with all his might. And then David also knew and received God's love for him. I want us to hop into Psalm 139, which is a prayer written by David, king to God. In verse 13, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake I am still with you. David's relationship with God was so intimate. He knew he knew God's love for him, he knew that he was created, that he was fashioned by his creator, and this is what his prayers and his time looked like with God. Have you given yourself time to receive the love of God for you personally? One of the ways we can know where we're at with receiving God's love is our ability to receive love from the people around us, from our friends and our community. When someone tries to give you something nice, is it hard for you to receive? Or when someone tries to help you out, is it hard to receive? Just the other day, I was getting my coffee ready. So I like to prepare my coffee the night before and set it so that it, it's made at six, so that when I get up, it can be all good to go for me. And I was in the kitchen uh, with Spirit and Daniel uh, up here, and and I went into my cabinet, opened it up, and realized I didn't have any coffee that I was out. And I was I'm very expressive, and I was like, "No, I'm out of coffee," and. And Daniel was immediately like, he ran downstairs and came back up with a bag of Stumptown coffee, which is my favorite coffee. And it's also like a bag of Stumptown is a $15 bag of coffee. And Daniel was like, here, take this. I don't even drink coffee that much. And I was like, no, I can't take your coffee. And Spirit called me out and she was like, you need to receive love. And it actually convicted me. I was like, whoa, She's totally right. I need to grow in receiving love from my community and also from God because I, I do believe that there's a direct connection there. Like, if we're able to receive love from others, uh, that is linked to how we're able to receive love from God. A couple of years ago, I uh, was studying abroad, I was studying in Argentina. And while I was there, it was this like amazing time in my life where I was doing school, I was working, and then I was helping lead a spiritual community. And in, within a few months of being there, I got in, myself into a similar situation to these last few months where I was just busy doing all sorts of stuff. They were all good things, things that I was excited about, but I was tired. And I was invited to come to this farm. There were these Christian missionaries who were from Colorado who were living in Uruguay at the time, and they have this farm called the Fields of the Fatherless, and they invited me to come out for a weekend. And I went there, and while I was there, I began to experience God's love in a deeply personal way that I hadn't experienced before. And this psalm, Psalm 139, was a huge part of this. I would wake up in the mornings and I would just read. I would, I would declare these truths. I would kind of speak them to God and over myself. Just for you created my inmost being, God. You knit me, Jack, together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I would speak these 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 truths, these verses, and it began to do something really deep in my heart where I was just meditating On God's personal love for me. And something interesting about me is when I was a little kid, I used to wake up many mornings just hysterically laughing, and then I would jump on my bed, and I just had a lot of joy as a kid. Uh, And over the years, that kind of went away. I I didn't continue to wake up hysterically (laughs) laughing every day. But when I became a believer when I was 17, I had this thought that one day I'll get to this point in intimacy with God— where I'll be so full of joy and knowing his love that I'll again wake up hysterically laughing, just full of joy. And while I was there at the fields of the fatherless, receiving the love of the father in a deep and profound way, it happened. I woke up one morning hysterically laughing because I was experiencing the personal deep love and affection of the father. So I wonder, have you given yourself time to receive the deep and personal love and affection of the father that he has for each one of you and if you haven't i encourage you to take that time it can look like what it looked like for me just something simple like taking this psalm psalm 139 and reading it every morning even for a month reading this psalm over your life until you believe the words of god's love for you personally David also was able to receive God's love for himself even in his brokenness. He didn't let shame and guilt hold him back from God. Many of us know the story of David, especially if you grew up in the church. But for those of us that don't, years later in his life, David ended up slipping into adultery. He slept with one of his friend's wives and he actually ended up killing his friend, getting him murdered. A while after this, someone came to David and said, hey, I know what you've done. And David experienced conviction, and he came to God in this place of deep brokenness and, and sin. And this is what he said in Psalm fifty-one sixteen: You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart to you. God will not despise. How often do we feel like we're not good enough for God? We want to come to him. We want to even come to church or we want to spend time with him. But we think about all the time that we haven't spent with him or the things that we haven't done or the things that we've done to hurt others or to not be a good enough parent or friend. And we allow these things to disqualify us from God's love. David murdered his friend and slept with his wife but he didn't allow these like grave sins to hold him back from receiving God's love and he came to God in the middle of his brokenness in the middle of the things that he did and he allowed the love of the father to pour over him and to heal him and redeem him i want to invite you to close your eyes for a minute and imagine with me imagine that you are walking down a hallway On one side of the hallway, on the wall, there are all these picture frames, and within them are the highlights of your life in each picture. God's with you, and he says, I loved being with you in each and every one of these moments. As you continue to walk down this hallway, you look on the other side, on the other wall, and in each picture frame are the worst moments of your life, the mistakes you made The failures, the times you fell short. And God is again with you, and He looks at you and says, I loved being with you in each of these moments. You can open your eyes. God loves you so deeply, even in the moments of your failures, moments of your mistakes, as well as in the high moments. David was a man who received God's love in the highs and in the lows. What was the result of David prioritizing God's presence, worshiping God with all his might, and receiving God's love for him? Not only did David keep his love alive and burning passion for God, but David also was able to have confidence, his family was blessed, and everything under David's leadership flourished. So David had confidence. He was able to defeat Goliath. Let's hop into 1 Samuel seventeen forty-five. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. This was when David was still a young man. And Goliath was this giant who all of Israel was afraid of. No one was willing to fight him. But because of David's deep love and intimacy with God, he had confidence in who the Lord was for him. So I wonder what these Goliaths might be in your life, whether it's broken relationships in your family, severed relationships with your kids, finances, not getting the promotion you wanted. But I want to encourage you that as you grow in your love and affection for God, you'll grow in confidence and see him move in these areas in your life. Second, David's family was blessed. Second, Samuel seven eleven through 16. The Lord declares to you that he himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with the, rod of the man, with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my loving devotion will never be removed from him, as I removed it from Saul, whom I moved out of your way. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. Because of David's great love for God, his family was blessed, his lineage was blessed, so much so that one day later, God decided that his own son, Jesus, would sit upon the throne of David in his lineage. Do you want to see blessing in your family? Grow in your love for God. Everything under David's leadership flourished. First Chronicles twenty nine twenty six. David, son of Jesse, was king over all Israel. He ruled over Israel 40 years, seven in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. His son Solomon succeeded him as king. Israel flourished under David's leadership. The kingdom expanded beyond measure. They experienced provision and wealth Because of David's great love for God. What are the areas where you want to see flourishing in your life? Is it in your workplace, in your household, in your relationships, in your sphere of influence? Grow in your love for God. I want us to look lastly at the life of another man who kept his love alive for God throughout his whole life. And this man is Count Zinzendorf up here on the screen. His name is uh, Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, Is his full name. And he is a man from Germany in the 1700s. Zinzendorf grew up in a time when uh, division was strong in Christianity, like different denominations wouldn't even talk with one another or have relationship with each other. And it was also a time when religion was prioritized and not personal relationship with Jesus. When Zinzendorf was in primary school, him and his friends began to meet together every day to read the Bible and to pray with one another. And when they were young boys, they covenanted together. They made a a commitment that they would be true to Christ, be kind to others, and that they would take the gospel to the nations. And they all stayed true to this commitment throughout their lifetime. Years later, Zinzendorf was given his family's estate, and he had this vision to create Christian community on this estate. And he began welcoming Christian persecuted Christian refugees from different nations onto this estate in this community. And they were meeting together, praying, and seeking God. And one day, as they were praying, they experienced what is known as the Moravian Pentecost. So the presence of God came to their prayer meeting and met them as they were all seeking him. This is how Zinzendorf described it, as a sense of nearness of Christ given to everyone present and also to others of their community who were working elsewhere at the time. They hardly knew if they had been on earth or in heaven. After this profound experience that they all had together, within a few weeks they started a prayer meeting. There were only 48 people as a part of this community and they started praying in one-hour slots, 24 hours a day, every day. This prayer meeting continued for more than 100 years and this small community based in Germany began to expand and this was a time before missionaries, the idea of, of sending missionaries uh, as people from a church to foreign land was pretty uncommon at this time and they started sending groups to Africa, to South America, to Asia, to the Americas, to plant these communities centered around prayer and hospitality and communal living. The Moravians influenced the modern missions movement, and Zinzendorf is seen as a father of modern missions. John Wesley, who was a key person in the first Great Awakening in America, uh, also was greatly influenced by the Moravians. He his conversion is credited to an experience that he had seeing the faith of Moravians praying, and then he had a prayer meeting. He was at a prayer meeting with some Moravians that he points to as one of the main uh, experiences that influenced him coming to America and sharing the gospel and seeing God move all across the Americas. This is what John Wesley said. About three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to the Lord. So John Wesley had this profound experience due to Zinzendorf and his community, and their passionate pursuit of God. And he came and visited their community, which was in this city in Germany. And this is what he said. Today was the intercession today when many strangers were present, some of whom came 20 or 30 miles. I would gladly have spent my whole life here, but my master is calling me to labor in other parts of his vineyard. And I was constrained to take my leave from this happy place. So Zinzendorf's life changed the world. It transformed what Christianity looks like even today. All because he was a person who deeply loved God. And I want to say to you today that your love for God can change the world. As you give yourself to prioritizing his presence, worshiping him with all of your might, and receiving and knowing his love for you personally, you can watch your life and the lives of those around you be transformed by the love of God. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We love your presence. We love your voice. Spirit of God, we prioritize you. You're the one we desire. You're the only one who's worthy of our time, our affection, our devotion. God, forgive us for all the ways that we prioritize other things. Show us the things in our hearts, God, that we hold before you. Would you purify our love and our affection for you, Jesus? Would you increase our desire for your presence, God? Would you be the only thing that we want? Would you be the only one that we love? God, would you increase in our midst? Would you increase in our desires? We love you, Jesus, and we receive your love. We just declare, God, that, that, it's, that our worth and our value is determined by the price that you are willing to pay of giving your one and only son, Jesus, on the cross, So God, we thank you and we receive your love today. Amen.